everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 151 of the podcast that is taking you on a journey through all of the adventures of the superheroes of the Marvel Universe from the beginning. We start with the Fantastic Four number one in 1961, and we have made it to a new month of April 1967, even though I actually said April a couple of times last week. I meant it for this week. So here we are. We're going to be talking about four comics today. Sergeant Fury 43, Thor 141, Strange Tales 158, and Tales of Suspense 91. Although there are a couple of these I have so little say about that we might end up covering a fifth as well. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. If we do, that's it'll be always, the X-Men 33. But That's yeah. always the fun. Yep. Yeah. Figuring out as we go. But oddly tonight, I actually think I'm most excited to talk about Sergeant Fury of all four of these, which well, is hey, really weird. I know, that right? It is a little weird. It is a little weird, but not necessarily for a good reason, but for an interesting reason. Because you're just so unexcited for the other ones? <laughs> no, because this issue has some splaining to do, and we're going to have to figure that out. But ah, anyway, if you want to go, let's go. Actually, I have to talk about it, don't I? Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to go, you can go. <laughs> Sergeant Fury and Italian Commandos, number 43, uh, The Scourge of the Sahara. And since I don't have my glasses, zoomy, zoom, zoom. Special note to serious students of the Splash panel. Just in case you're wondering what Happy Sam Sawyer is doing in the path of a tank commanded by Field Marshal Rommel, this is simply what Darling Dick calls an imaginary montage. Okay, so even reading this is not necessary, but I did it anyway. Who says this isn't the Marvel age of accommodating captions? So they just, yeah, okay. Now that we've got you completely confused, exactly, don't think we're going to let up for one second, because our Titanic tale actually begins in Happy Sam's briefing room. Stan Lee palpitatingly presents a Gary Friedrich, Dick Ayers, work of war mag wonderment, inked by Tom Tartaglioni, lettered by Sam Rosen, sets for this ish by Forbush Sandbox Supplies Incorporated. <laughs> so, I don't think I even need to look. Let me see. Okay. So, they get a sign to go to Africa and help. The people push the Nazis out of there because the Nazis supposedly are developing this superior super tank. Um, on their way out, they encounter, is it Eric? Eric's sister that they recently rescued, whose name I forget because they never really say her name ever anytime. Ilsa. Ilsa, okay. They say it and a she, few times in this issue, but before that, I didn't and, know. And she's like, I'll make you guys steaks when you come back. And Nick's like, yeah, that'd be great. And then uh, she kind of fawns or at least visually fawns over uh, Dino. And Dino kind of thinks, like, every time I look at her, I think of my ex-fiancé slash traitor who died saving me. I wonder why. And so that's still going. Um, we cut to the soldiers who are actually in Africa. There's a whole group of them, and they're all thinking, and apparently the brass has ordered that they don't care about the Nazis anymore, basically. And nine out of ten of these soldiers or, you know, officers are like, yeah, I agree. The Nazis are about to leave Africa. It's obvious. It's clear. But there's one guy who's like, no, I think they have one more go. And they're going to come at us. And we ought to be prepared. And they're all like, that's court-martial talk, mister. You're ordered to not care. So you better not care or we'll arrest you. And just as everybody's not caring, the Nazis attack. Um, untraditionally, the Howlers arrive and just make it to their destination with zero pages, you know, like they just, they just get there. They just get there. It's really weird. I think it's like the first time that's ever happened. Uh, so they just get in a Jeep and they see explosions from this attack and they go help. 
and it drives off the Nazis. And everybody's like, see, they are trying to leave. And Nick is like, eh, I think they're just, you know, muscling up and making it going to make a comeback. And this one major is like, th- that agrees with him is like, yeah, I agree with you. But you know what? Our orders are to not care. So you better not care, mister. And Nick's like, yes, sir. I promise not to care. Um, and by the way, they weren't sure if the tank thing was really going to happen. So their cover is, if it doesn't happen, that the Howlers are escorting uh, a USO show that Dino put together in his off time recently that he had. Um, so now they all go to that USO show and they're all enjoying themselves. But Nick does send Gabe to do a little reconnaissance. And Gabe does find out that there is a giant super tank and a bunch of army guys, you know, uh, getting together. And so he runs back to the town or to the camp or the USO show to tell them, and they kind of all chase him. So they all see him, you know, Nick and sees Gabe, and then he sees, like, the whole freaking German army coming out. So they all get into a fight. Uh, the tank is shooting, like, 1,000-pound missiles or something. Like, they're so powerful that entire splash page is devoted to how powerful this missile is. Um, so they send um, – uh, why can't I he- remember this guy's name? Is it Izzy? Okay. They sent Izzy – Izzy, the explosion guy, the explosives expert, to go over there and set up an explosion and set it for a timer so he can get out. And as he's trying to get out, Nazis spot him and they jump on him and he gets into a fight. So all the other howlers go over there, even though that endangers their lives, to help Izzy fight. And then everybody gets out just in time for the uh, you know the tank to explode. And then once the tank explodes, um, they just basically run away. Um, and by the way, the guy who's in charge of all this is um, uh, 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 Erwin Rommel, who is a real life person. So they do make a note that like he's going to go back to Germany now and help try and kill Hitler. Um, so that ends on that kind of a happy note. And then next issue, the most requested command commando saga of all, the Howler's first mission. Even though I think we've already seen that. But anyway, maybe we, we saw did how Fury met. Um, Dum dum. Right. Well, I guess I'm we saw sure. how it was formed. I don't know if we saw the exact first mission. Yeah. Okay. So this issue is jacked up. Okay. Because I'm reading it and it's very clear that Rommel, who doesn't play a big part, but he does have thoughts here and there. Mm-hmm. But it's like in the end, they have a caption about, it, and we all know what happened to Rommel. So it's like, okay, well, he's obviously a real person. So I looked it up and I read it and I'm like, wait a minute, I've read this before. So why did I read this before? So then I looked up Rommel on the Marvel Wiki. He has been in Sergeant Fury number six. Right. And I was like, okay, what was number six? So I do a quick skim. And the plot of number six was they go to Africa to stop Rommel. Um, And the main plot was like they had to pick up a bigot along the way because he spoke German. And then like the bigot and Gabe didn't get along. And then they ended up getting along in the end because they got injured together or something like that. Okay. I remember that better than I remember the Rommel part of it. But go ahead. So the Rommel part of it is they failed their mission. Like the one time the Howlers failed their mission, right? Mm -hmm. And then in the end, Nick's like, well, I'm sorry we failed, but we'll just try again tomorrow. And the brass is like, no, actually, Nick, we've heard that Rommel is part of a plot to assassinate – Adolf Hitler. So we'd actually like you to just leave him alone and leave him to his own devices. And everybody's like, oh, that's a great idea. High five. The end. And then I'm pretty sure you and I had a discussion about who Rommel was based on our awesome Wikipedia research. Right. Um, But that plot is this plot. So how does that work? They went back to Africa again to fight Rommel again, like five seconds later, because 
Issue number six had to have taken place in 1944 when they tried to assassinate whatever. Like there's actual, he actually was in Africa, this guy, and he actually did leave Africa, this guy. So we know the dates on that. Well, that was nice. Okay, so I was just looking back at the notes. I haven't looked at the comic, but I was looking at the notes. Mm -hmm. Um, They went to Tobruk in that issue, uh, which he held uh, from June to November 1942. Mm -hmm. And so that kept that story in 1942. This seems to be around the time that Rommel is getting ready to pull out of Africa, which is March of 1943. But in both cases, they reference this plot to kill Hitler, which can't be in both years, I would think. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that they mentioned that in both spots. Um, I did not go and look up the whole try to kill Hitler thing. I imagine it's in, yeah, yeah, he was implicated in an assassination. He was implicated. Um, they never really proved whether he ha- actually was part of it or not, and they made him commit suicide rather than do That's try. right. Yes, yes. I remember that. I, I see that in my notes now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's a few months of difference but it does seem to be slightly different times okay. in Rommel's life. Um, it, it would have been cool if they had a thought bubble like, gosh, we're fighting this guy again. Yeah, some reference to having seen this guy once before. And they actually, haha, I don't know exactly how it works because I haven't read. This is the latest issue of Fury that I've read. From this point forward, I have never read a single Fury issue. But I know that some of the later, like the three-digit Fury issues actually take place earlier in the war somehow, some way. Okay, and yeah. And so there, there is a Fury issue that takes place between 6 and 43, where they see Rommel again. Okay. So uh, he was in North Africa for a while, so certainly there's a big time span where they would have chance to see him. But this right here does seem to be, you know, a way to address the end of his campaign there. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. I was going to say uh-huh. something. I don't know. That's horrible for a podcast to not remember what you were going to say. But um, yeah, oh, I was going to say, I feel like the first issues of Nick Fury were kind of uh, up in the air on what the time period was, too. Like, you could argue that some were in the more future than the others. Yeah, it seems that the continuity of the Howlers and the continuity of the real war are two different timelines. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, you mentioned it a few times how the first issue is basically right before D-Day. Right. And then they revisit that later. Yeah, they had to like work back up to it again. So it feels like we've already worked up to and even maybe past D-Day again. But now we're back in 1943 again. So that's weird. Is it 43 or 44? I thought it was 44, but I don't know. You remember, well, the, the, I, 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 I keep meaning to become a, a World War II buff, but I keep forgetting to get around to it. But Just based on the Rommel continuity, it couldn't be any later than March 43. You're but right. But they could say yeah. other things in this issue that don't jive with that, because certainly yeah. that's possible. Um, well, what's what's cool, I mean, we probably did talk about this in that last episode, and I don't remember, so sorry, everybody, if this is a rerun, but... To be fair, Jack Kirby was still drawing the book the last time we talked about this guy. Mm-hmm. It's um, been a while since then, right? But like, he's kind of like considered, at least from what I understand, it, for some people, the good Nazi, quote unquote, like an upstanding Nazi, <laughs> which you don't he, hear uh, about too often. He's described as having tried to fight the war without hate. Yes, and you could tell in these issues that, like, at least by the by in the sixties, they're prescribed, they're subscribing to that idea. In mm-hmm. a way, like he's not really painted as, you know, like Strucker or something. Right. In fact, he even, to, he even has thoughts where it's like he wishes he could leave, but he has to follow orders. And to be fair to the being fair, there has been some later historical evidence that mm-hmm. that was a bit of a myth 
and that there actually were some hate crimes done under right, his command. Right. But, but for what it is, you know, this is the kind of guy but they're trying to present. That's what I think is kind of interesting because these are written in the 60s, so they maybe hadn't come up with that Rommel myth business yet. Mm-hmm. And now they wouldn't write anything like this anymore because there's probably too much evidence to the other. Well, I don't know. If you're listening, do your own research because I certainly haven't. It's it's on the fence as to <laughs> how good a guy this was. But And there are certainly some elements here that give an indication that Friedrich and or Ayers read like a little bit of Wikipedia and then like forgot the rest of it because uh. they um, – the whole idea of him – not wanting to leave behind all of his people as he leaves Africa. Mm-hmm. That was a legitimate dilemma. Yeah. But here's the thing. In this issue, he gets command from Hitler to get out of Africa. Uh-huh. It is actually the opposite. He was commanded by Hitler to stay and fight to the last man. Mm. And he had been, he had sworn an oath to blindly obey the Fuhrer. Yeah. He delayed for a few days. And then after talking to some of his other you know, co-commanders, other generals, he decided, yes, I'm going to get out of here. But those few days delay cost him a lot of opportunity. And he lost so many men in the exit strategy. And he later said that that delay was the thing he regretted most of all of his commands in World War II. And I also read that he was the source of a lot of propaganda for Germany as like, you know, he's our top guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some, there was something about like, they pr- they put out a thing that he was under the weather and so relieved his command during all that just so that he'd save face. Mm. And they put it on somebody else when they lost inevitably. I don't know. It's all really murky. But what's interesting to me is like one of the themes of this story is we got the major who's like, I kind of made fun of it, but that's basically what they're saying is, hey, major, don't try too hard to defend the Nazis anymore. And he doesn't agree with that, but he follows the orders. And then we got Rommel here who's like having his thoughts of, I wish we could get out of here, but I have my orders. So right. Like, so like every, it's all about like how, how far do you follow orders? Because like Nick is like, yeah, I'll follow orders, but I'm not an idiot. So I'm also <laughs> not going to follow orders and send Gabe out here to like go against orders mm-hmm. because I think I'm right. And there is an argument between him and the major as to whether you should, <laughs> you know, just blindly follow orders or not. And I never know that either because, you know – and. It kind of makes sense to blindly follow orders sometimes because you can't constantly explain everything. That's the whole point of orders and rank. Right. But there has to be times when the person giving you an order isn't right. Yeah, I think the word blindly there is kind of important. Like, you've got to trust the orders, but there comes a point where the orders seem like they're really, really, really wrong. And then you can't just put your blinders on and do whatever anyway. Mm. Not that I've ever even once been in the military, um, but that's just my impression. Right, but we've all seen uh, a few good men. Right? Mm-hmm. So there you go. But we've also all seen uh, that second Star Wars movie. So there right. you go also. Uh, yeah. The only other thing I had on this was just at the beginning. We did mention Gary Friedrich's arrival in this book last issue. I was just looking at the credits list. Dick Ayers is on this book all the way until it stops doing new stories. Wow. Um, and Gary Friedrich is on for 30 more issues. So he, the Friedrich Ayers run on Sergeant Fury is pretty significant. Did they credit it that way last time? Oh, they called him edited by Stanley. Okay. So for a while now, they've been making Stan kind of take a backseat on these credits. Because this yeah, one says Roy, Roy, presented Roy Thomas by was Stan. the writer for a while. That's right. Yeah. I have one more thing. Page is page, 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 page. 10 is too good to pass up. 
Um, we oh, have the lot, USO show with all these guest stars. We have the stars. USO show with all these people. So I know who all of them are. Oh, yeah? One of them I had to do research. The other I just knew because yay. So the Cowboys, Gene Autry, who was like the guy who basically put cowboy and guitar together mm-hmm. in I'm our nation. in the saddle again. Yeah. But before him, so Cowboys were not playing country guitar. country western? I don't know about that, but he certainly created the idea of like that the lone cowboy who's going around strumming a guitar because Gosh knows, like, actual cowboys probably didn't go around strumming a guitar. Uh, and if you're a guitar aficionado, he's the reason there's the Martin D45, which is glorious. But anyway, and then there's uh, 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 Glenn Miller. Of course, they actually say that in this comic, so that wasn't that hard to figure out. But I have seen, because I know everything about Glenn Miller, because I saw the Glenn Miller story mm. on YouTube, which was a really cheesy, oldie movie, which was probably completely inaccurate. Because it was all in Technicolor for a dime, you know. Right, right. But at some point, they do say that he like joined the army on purpose. And in 1944, which is probably when this comic ish, oh, it takes place in 1943. So next year, Glenn Miller will disappear on a plane and never be seen again. <gasps> wow. Sad, right? Left behind his wife and two children. There's Bob Hope, who is you know famous for his USO contributions. Mm-hmm. And then the last one was the one I had to look up. I was like, I don't know who that is. I thought it was supposed to be the the females that I was supposed to figure out, but it's actually the dude with the mustache. Um, and the way I figured it out, this was kind of neat. I typed in what he's singing into Google, and the only thing that came up was a forum from 2015. And it wasn't a forum about comics. It was a forum about people talking about overlooked uh, talent. And this one guy's like, how about this dude? And he posted a video. And then he said, and once I had a comic book, where he was in it in the USO show with with three ladies, and he sang this song. I think it was a Sergeant Rock comic. So it's like, oh, oh so close. This guy so is close. so close. So who but is anyway, you know his, his, his name is Jerry Col- Colonna, Colonna. I've never heard of him before. Apparently he was uh, a regular with Bob Hope, like a, one of the, like a supporting character. C-O-L-O-N-A? C-O-L-O-N-N-A. Giant mustache. He was kind of funny. He's like a living cartoon. It was he was sort of like a comedian, but like he would he would if you Google if you YouTube him, there's lots of bits with him and Bob Hope together. There so are two Jerry Colonas that come up in the autocomplete. You got to go with one the mustache, the one who's not a businessman. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I've seen him in stuff. Yeah, he did look familiar to me too, but I don't I don't know. He kind of okay. looks like Groucho Marx, kind of maybe that's why. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's it. Well, fun, fun stuff. On the facing page on that was a great picture of Gabe Jones. And I don't know if this has become standard and I'm just now noticing it, but mm-hmm. no gray coloring on his skin there. No, he looks quite normal now. It's awesome. Yeah. Realistic flesh tones are great. Okay. Should we move uh-huh. into the present? We shall move into Thor. Thor 141. Okay, y'all. <laughs> I like liking things. Mm-hmm. This is something else. The Wrath <laughs> of Replicas. Featuring the murderous menace of mob leader Slugger Sykes. <sighs> a dazzling Stanley and Jack Kirby drama in depth. Inked by V. Coletta, or letter by Art Simic. Um, Slugger Sykes, the murderous menace of mob leader, is punching out Thor on the cover. Punching him all way from Sunday. Scientist runs up and says, you can't just punch my robots like that. Oh, wait, they're not robots. They're replicas. You can't just punch my replica like that. And Zeiss is like, I'm so sorry I hurt your robot. I mean, your replica. 
It's a replica. That's right. It's a replica. So um, he makes replicas of things. And he's like, did I ever show you the best replica I ever made? And he opens this big blue box and out comes this green thing that is not replicating anything. It's just a large (laughs) green robot. I mean, replica. (laughs) And his name is Replicus. Okay, so Don Blake is walking around town and he checks in on, um, uh, let's see, what's her name? Granny Gardenia. Yes, this is Granny Gardenia. Gardenia. That's right. So she is well known in the neighborhood. People outside know who she is and where she lives. And so they're able to help him find the place. Uh, he goes up there and, you know, makes sure that she has all of her vital signs and she's drinking some soup while he's there. A couple of uh, gangsters show up while Don Blake is giving her her once over and they bring her or they, they buy from her one of these flowers that she normally sells on the street, but she's not well enough to go selling flowers. So they buy her a flower because Slugger Sykes likes her flowers and they, um, they buy one from her every day. And so she has very nice things to say about the mobsters, Slugger Sykes and the mobsters eventually leave. Um, Don Blake sees on the TV station replicas is a man about town wrecking everything down. And so he goes out to see what's going on. Meanwhile, Replicas confronts Slugger Sykes and um, brings him all of the money that he's been stealing from all of these banks. And what else? He uh, Replicas continues buying, uh, stealing stuff. Don Blake reads about it in the papers. So he turns into Thor, flies off to fight Replicas. They fight. Flip the page. Flip the page. They fight and they fight. And then... Slugger and Scientist Dude have an argument because I think uh, Scientist Dude decides that uh, once he has replicas, he no longer needs Slugger. He has a far-reaching plan. You are nothing more than a pawn. And uh, Slikes is like, yeah, well, I'm going to beat you up now because that's what I do. And Scientist says, what? I can, I'm not going to get beat up by you because you're just a mere earthling. <gasps> Is scientist dude an alien? He blasts Slugger with his blast ray. Sykes and um, alien scientists start fighting. They fall into some machinery. It blows up the building down on the ground. The building must have been actively motivating Replicas. Because without it, Replicas collapses like the um, Autons after they blow up the nesting consciousness on Rose. Um, And so... Thor's like, okay, so that's all done. And Don Blake goes and sees Mrs. Garden, Gar, uh, Granny Gardenia, and she's super sad about Slugger Sykes dying. And Don's like, yeah, I guess his mother will always love him. Mm. Uh, at one point during the story, there's much ado made about how Replicas can lift Thor's hammer. But we can talk about that if we want to. If the hammer's in an elevator, elevator still goes up. Yep. Oh, this is an issue where they first use the phrase... Or the concept that no human can lift Thor's hammer. But that could still mean just that no human is strong enough. Exactly. No human Thor can lift a mountain enough. either. Yeah. Right. There are lots of things that I cannot lift. Just, you know, to put that out there. I can't lift a lot of things. Mountain is one. Yeah, that's a good example. Uh, yeah, I finished this and it was like, I'm not going to say I don't like this. But I'm not going to say I like it either. And it's one of those, it's like, if I didn't have a podcast, I could just read this and then feel free to say to myself, well, that happened, and then move on. Move on, right? 
But now it's like, oh, I got a podcast. So the first thing I thought about was now I got to figure out what I think about this. And those are like the worst kind of stories. I'd much rather read a story and hate it horribly or love it completely. But like these are just sort of like, yeah, well, that happened. I don't know. It's not unentertaining. Right. But, but it's, it's not lots a, of really old story tropes for Thor. Yeah. This, this That's one thing I thought of is this felt more like back in the day when they wanted him to be Superman. Yeah. All we need is, that um, is Larry Lieber drawing um, Jane Foster to mood over Don Blake or whoever mm-hmm. drew those early issues. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Instead, we uh, got Kirby uh, Mrs. Gardens, but same idea. Uh, it's worth mentioning that the cover on this was not the original cover. Oh, thank God. Well, that's really sad because I really don't like the cover. Yeah, Kirby had drawn a cover, which is a little bit awkward in the angle, but otherwise seems perfectly serviceable. It mm. would not be the worst thing about this issue. It would not. <laughs> it's not a great cover, but it's not bad. Um, the, but, but they would. They uh, yeah. Stanley nixed it, and they either couldn't or possibly Kirby wouldn't do another cover by the deadline. Uh-huh. So instead, we so, get. A hodgepodge of shots from the inside of the cover. Inside the comic. Right. Four different fight shots. Just sort of ho-hum. But so they are, we can get into the villainy and all this nonsense later, but they are using Donald Blake again. They've decided. And he's in his doctor's office. After issues and issues of not using him and us thinking like, oh, okay, well, they're done with him now. They even got Mm -hmm. rid of Jane. We don't need Don Blake anymore, but now they're going to use him again. And he doesn't need an assistant in the office. And... You know, the house call thing, I didn't hate it. It was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's a little coincidental that the person he's treating is also the person that this mob guy, like, desperately is connected to for luck or whatever. But that's okay. I'll let them have that. That happens all the time in comics. Um, the lady was kind of cute. Uh, 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 but, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with Don. I kind of want him to just go away again. <laughs> But he didn't. He wasn't that horrible in this, I guess. Better than the last time that you. Um, what did you think about uh, Granny as you were reading? Did the idea that she might be his mother occur? I was waiting to find out that she's like helping him smuggle pot or something. But then I thought, well, this is 1967, so that's probably not the plot. Probably not. But like he, they showed up and they're like, "We really need your special flowers." And I'm like, "Oh, what's in that basket?" But then it turned out the guy just thinks they're lucky, so he needs to buy them from her every day. He's got like a OCD about it or something. But then it turns out that she's actually he's actually buying from his mother. So, oh, that's his mother. Where did I miss that? Oh, and it's a thing that Don says at the end that he's like, I'm sure his mother loves him very or whatever it is he says. I oh. I assume he was trying to make a, a sly re- reference to Granny oh, there. Wow, that's way deeper than I gave that credit for. That's awesome, actually. He was more than just a customer to you, wasn't he? No, don't answer that. Just oh listen to what God. I say. That I hope his went, mother will remember this always. That just went right over my head, and that makes this story a lot sadder now. Now I almost kind of <laughs> like it. Huh. <laughs> a little bit of pathos, a little bit, just a touch. Yeah, well, I mean, the granny was kind of the best part of the story in a way, just mm-hmm. because it's so unusual in a Thor comic to have him interacting with a convalescent old lady. Um, uh, 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 basically, the one part I really just don't like, outside of the fact that it's just a throwaway story, and it's like, yeah, I can build these things that, can compete with Thor, which to me just seems is kind of insane. But like the worst part is the underdevelopment of the person who made replicas and what the heck his deal was, I guess. Like, okay. Like why did he need the gangster in the first place? It seemed like he was already all set up and his thing is like, well, now that I sell to you, I'm going to sell to every gangster. And then that makes him mad. 
It's like, why don't you just, I mean, what is your plan? World domination? Why not just replicate 600 replicas and forget this whole gangster business? I don't know. That part was weird. And I guess he's an alien. He is kind of like the tinkerer, right? Exactly. The good part was I liked kind of how the main Bob boss got rocketeered and was like, thought the dude was a communist. And he's like, hey, I'm American. I steal, but I'm American. And then he found out he's an alien, so he sacrificed himself to like save the planet. So it just goes to show you, even if you're evil, you can still do good things. Did we learn a lesson there? We all learned a lesson that time. Mm-hmm. So um, that was okay. I'm trying to think if I had written anything else down on this issue. Um, oh, yeah, replicas. Mm-hmm. So um, why was he replicas? What did he replicate? <laughs> like, we had the replica of Thor at the beginning, which led yeah. us to the introduction of this guy through dialogue. Uh-huh. But what does this guy have to do with that? That could just be a robot shaped like Thor. This is a robot shaped like a robot. It's a great design. I actually like it. But, yes, he's not replicating anything. He is a robot. So stop saying he's not a robot, Mr. Whatever you are. Yeah, he's like, the kind of guy who, like, distinguishes between androids and robots. Yeah, except and he keeps saying replicas. Right. Or replicas. Um is it also, they, they make this big to-do on page four about how, like, he has a temporary battery. And I thought maybe that would play into the fight or something, but then it doesn't go anywhere. So that was weird. Mm. Uh, 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 Thor doesn't even, like, beat this guy. Like, the mob boss beats the main guy, and then that somehow shuts down replicas. So. Yeah. So Thor does not actually win this fight. The, the, the replicas has his hammer. Yeah. Which, if this guy were to ever come back, might be something worth remembering. Right. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. There is evidently – you found another replicas that comes back for a story? Thor Volume 2 apparently has another replicas, but it's obviously – you know, because you can replicate replicases, I guess. Oh. I don't know. This, that one's called Replica 4 and this one's 3 or something. How is this 3? What was 1 and 2? I don't know. And also the beginning. Oh. Like why repli- – are you just – do you replicate things that people want to beat up? Is that like your gig? A practice robot, but <laughs> – is the guy practicing to beat up Thor? Does he literally think he could beat up Thor because he can beat a robot that looks like Thor? Uh, right. And is that what this random human is saying? And then he's talking about how like his gang has not been profitable lately because Thor's back in town. And see, that was very Superman to me because I was thinking like Thor does not care about your gang. Thor mm-hmm. will never care about your gang or notice your gang unless you go into cahoots with a guy who makes giant green robots. Then he's going to notice your gang. Right. So that was weird. That was definitely more a Superman line. Superman would notice your gang. So anyway. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. When it comes to the end of the month, it's just going to be like overlooked, I guess. Yeah, it was very kind of blah. Um, okay, so we go on to Alibar and the 40 Demons. Let's keep the blah going. Yeah. That's, <laughs> let's keep that blah rolling. <laughs> um, okay, so into the very heart of fabled Zandu. Zandu? Xanadu. Uh-huh. Strides Mighty Thor in company with Fandral the Dashing, Volstag the Vocif- Vociferous, and Hogan the Grim, seeking to battle Hogan's sworn enemy, the merciless Mogul of the Mystic Mountain. And away thou goest. Hail ye all the Stanley and Jack Kirby commodious creation. Does that mean they made it on the toilet? Inky uh. Vince Coletta, lettering Art Simic. We're well aware that this page alone is worth the price of Art Bag, but there's still more to come, oh thrice blessed one. It's a big splash page of, of yeah, Xanadu. Yeah, pretty good. They're coming down the stairs. Yeah. Everyone's running scared, like the cover of Action Comics 1. Um, okay, so the uh, 
Thor and the Warriors 3 come downstairs into Xanadu. Um, Volstagg sees a woman being carried away on a, what do you call those things? A litter. And he's like, oh, I want to sit in a litter. That'd be comfortable. Why does she get to? She's running away. I don't want to sit there. Meanwhile, everyone else is fighting the bad guys. Uh, by bad guys, I mean the guys who are just down here having a party whenever Thor interrupts. Mogul is uh, punishing Ali Bar, the thief, for stealing food for the poor from the kitchen. He's going to be put to death. He's like, no, let's not kill him. I have a better use for him. Let's infuse him with magical power. <laughs> So they do. They turn him into uh, a gladiator of they turn him silver samurai. Basically, silver samurai. It's not quite samurai. It's it's a yeah. little bit muddled in its cultural ideas <laughs> here, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, he's like, go fight Thor, and he's like, I I don't know how to fight people. I um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a thief. I just got all this stuff on, and now I've got to go sacrifice myself a cat's paw. Against Thor and uh, Mogul's like, yeah, but you're not going to go alone. Let Satan's 40 horsemen follow you. And so now Alibar is like running toward Thor, but also running away from the 40 horsemen Mm. to be continued. It's like when Jar Jar Binks had to lead that army. Mm, Exactly. This is definitely (laughs) Alibarbar. Former criminal. Um, Yeah. Another one where I was just like, is this over yet? When is this over? How many more? Uh, after this, there will be four Tales of Asgard. Oh, my God. I mean, they really they are going to milk this one story to the end, aren't they? Four more. Wow. Well, random note on the title. It's obviously an allusion to Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, which is part sure. of the Arabic story collection, the book of 1001 Nights. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Aladdin, that story was actually added later. It has no authentic Arabic source and was added by a French translator who had heard the story from a Syrian storyteller. So you got this French translator dude whose job is to translate the Arabic 1001 Nights into French. And he's like, oh, and while I'm doing it, I'm going to add a chapter or two. Hey, take it while you can, right? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it lasted, so it must have been an okay tale, I guess. Yeah, but it, it doesn't really have anything to do with this. Like Ali Bar is a is a, a last minute note, yeah. and he doesn't have forty demons unless you count those horses that are never called demons in the course of the story. I mean, where are we? Do you even know? I don't know. We're in We're the in Middle it. East under the desert in a giant jar city. Oh, <laughs> but we're like that's a realm or something that's not Asgard, I guess. Yeah, that's I, where Hogan's from. I guess. I figure guess. I guess it's not really the Middle East somewhere, but it's like no. all the trappings of. Yeah. Yeah, because it's we're in certain- not South Asia, the Asgardian we're, version of South Asia. We're not in Asgard anymore though. Or does Asgard like Earth have areas that have different cultures or something? I don't think so. I don't think so either. But I don't know. But that's so think- that's one thing that bothers me. And the other thing is this guy seems to be able to just do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants, he, but he's also just seems to be like a conquering despot. Like he doesn't seem to like I just want to like control everything and have my parties. I've got my women's. I've got mm-hmm. my power. Leave me alone. But he's got Thor, who arguably is one of the most powerful beings in the world, and the Warriors Three invading his home, and he's like sitting around caring about some dude who stole a chicken. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you think he should be screaming to bat down the hatches or something like that? It was just weird. It He's didn't just seem so calmly like, like confident it may, about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, what happens is it makes you feel like the Thor invasion is not that big a deal. 
Like mm-hmm. they're just strolling. And it kind of does look like they're just strolling through, which is weird. At least there was no genie in this one. Except <laughs> the main guy who is kind of apparently a genie. Except the genie demon, he faded away into the night. Right. And now we shall have we, Silver Samurai. Shall we see? Speaking of genies. Yes. Gene. So um, Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, who was so kind as to have me over for New Year's Eve. Um, he writes in, tell us his perspective on the tales of Asgard as a uh, worshiper of the Norse gods. And he says about this, they're not even trying to hide the Arabian Nights influence here. It's right in the title. Alibar might want to get his brain to mouth filter checked, though. I know that you just spared my life, but I'm going to insult you anyway. <laughs> and and then they bring Satan into it. Did Stan and Jack take a bunch of books, throw them in the blender, and use what, what came what, out as what, a story what, basis? What, Sheesh. Did they? Where did that happen? I missed that. Um. Uh. What's his face? Mogul. Satan's uh. forty horsemen. Thunderforth. Oh gosh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, he did. Now I, I know so little about the Islamic faith and uh-huh. Muslim tradition, mm-hmm. but I do know that at least the concept of Satan exists in some form. Because I remember growing up in the 80s and 90s hearing that um, America was referred to as the great Satan by some branches of Middle Eastern culture. Whether that's true or just propaganda, I don't know. Um, But that's what I heard. So maybe there is a Satan concept. Maybe. there's I was going to say most religious cultures probably have some sort of Satan concept. But actually... I don't know if that's really fair or true because I, I think most cultures have some sort of person who deals with the dead concept. But right. That doesn't mean they're Satan per se, the way we think of Satan. Yeah. Or, or they, if, even if it is similar to our concept of Satan, they don't have that name for it. Right, right. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm so done with this issue. Okay. It's very rare for drawn to grow impatient with an issue. So someone write that one down. <laughs> Special. Not okay. to cut you off if you had anything else. Just... No, no, I, I really don't. Okay, I, I don't hate it, but again, I just I just don't have anything to really say about it. It's weird. That's almost worse. Okay, Strange Tales 158, The Sands of Death. And we got Doctor Strange on the cover being uh, uh, um, Captain Powered by... Is that Captain Powers thing? I'm trying to think of, like, there's a character who has that when they transform. I think it's Captain Power. Anyway, by the Living Tribunal. And there's an hourglass. But first, the final encounter. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, boy, there's a lot of words. Trapped on Hydra Island and shocked into unconsciousness, Nick Fury is defeated in Mortal Kombat with the merciless Baron Strucker. Having gained the upper hand because he wields the powerful Satan Claw, the sinister criminal mastermind prepares for the kill. Meanwhile, the world has only 20 minutes before a diabolical, diabolic germ bomb called the Death Spores explodes. So what else is new? Turn the page, frantic one. But before that, an Oscar-winning superstar spectacular by Stan Lee. He edited the script. Jim Skaranko, he wrote and drew the script. Sam Rosen, he lettered and lost the script. MGM wants them. MGM needs them. MGM can have them. Signed, Warner Brothers. I wonder if that was a thing that MGM was saying back then or something. MGM wants them, needs them, can have them. But I I didn't look into that. So I guess we'll never know. Anyway, yeah, Nick Fury is defeated. And Baron Strucker throws him on the ground, actually beats him a lot more, throws him on the ground, but then he decides to wax philosophically about being evil and uh, demonstrate that his Satan claw can crush a gun, at which point Nick is like, thank you for talking a lot, because all I needed was like a five-second nap. And now he's back up, and he beats 
uh, Strucker after a bunch of shenanigans, right? Yes, mm-hmm. he does. Oh, no. Well, he holds his own anyway. And, oh, what he does is he takes his belt off and he uses it to wrap around the Satan's Claw, which is like electrified, so getting touched by it really sucks. But he yanks it off and then he punches Strucker. And before he can celebrate the victory, though, all these other Hydra agents come in. So he jumps into the water and they all shoot. And then Dr. Evil's like, he's dead. Don't worry about it. Let's keep going. Let's wait for this countdown. But it turns out he's not dead because... He had an oxygen pellet in his belt also, or in his pants, and he took it, and it allowed him to breathe underwater for a while. And then he dressed up as a Hydra agent, and he confronts Strucker again, which means the bad guy, or the group of Hydra agents has to come back in again and deal. But this time when they do, there's two Struckers fighting, and they both say, no, I'm Nick. No, he's Nick. No, he's Nick. And they finally grab one, and they rip the Strucker face off, and Nick Fury is underneath. And Nick Fury panics and says, no, I can't die by Hydra. And he runs into an alpha particle reactor cube that's lying around, I guess. I have one of those over here. Totally. And, yeah, he turns all sunspotty and dies. And Strucker's like, yay, good job, guys. Now go get that professional hostage that I sometimes remember to talk about. And put her in this ship with me. And they're like, why? Because I said so or I'll kill you. And they're like, that's a good reason. So they do. And after they take off, it turns out, nope, that's really Nick. Because what really happened is when Nick came back, before the guards got there, he knocked Strucker out. And then remember how Strucker, for a while there, before he revealed that he was Strucker, kept putting on this machine on his head that could like change his whole face and create a new identity Nick knew about that thing or saw it, I guess. I can't remember. And so he put it on the unconscious Strucker and programmed it to make him look like Nick, complete with extra eye patch and everything. And then on top of that, put a mask of Strucker on both of them. So when they pulled the mask off of Strucker, Strucker's new face was Nick Fury. But Strucker didn't know that because Nick Fury did that when he was unconscious. So that's why he panicked and freaked out and ran. We all get that? Okay, I'm tired too. So anyway, they fly away and they leave the, the, the Hydra agents to wonder what this weird red gizmo is on sitting around. And they finally realize, oh, is this the thing we've been waiting to count down? And it is because Nick brought it with him the whole time and planted it. So instead of the whole world exploding, the Hydra base explodes and Nick and the hostage lady fly away happily ever after next spy school yeah that was really exhaustingly convoluted that part it was really tricky i feel like it would have played better in film yes because it was definitely going for the james bond ending uh-huh um i love when you said the alpha particle reactor cube mm-hmm. stan puts an asterisk what he say <laughs> right stump stan <laughs> yeah um yeah so Hydra's or Strucker's dead. That was fast. And I, I can't remember if we ever got his full name in the Sergeant Fury issues, but they do say here that he is Baron Wolfgang von Strucker. Okay. So that is his entire name. His name is getting longer and longer. Yep. He got a Vaughn. Now he has a Wolfgang. He's going to need but the he third music. junior. <laughs> <laughs> but he goes by Trey because it's the third. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It was all one big trick on the readers, and Hydra's dead. I was kind of like, when I was reading the caption, I went, 
I don't think I knew some of that was happening. So that's not great. But that could be on me and not the story. I don't know. The whole death by spores. I didn't realize like the whole world was going to die in 20 minutes. I thought the shield thing was worried about more bombs or something. That's what I remember. The helicarrier. The helicarrier has been worried about more bombs. That's true. And by the way, no talk about that in this story. We didn't even check in with them. So did they die? Well, this all feels like it happens in 10 minutes, so I don't know. Yeah. But that was part of the drama of last issue, and they don't finish it, and yet it seems like the story's over. Mm -hmm. So did they forget that part? Or, I don't know. I don't know either. I I feel like the spore thing was just made up for this issue, yeah? Or did they talk about that before? I was just rolling with it and didn't feel like (laughs) going back to check. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think they traded the idea of of the... because what it was last issue, I'm pretty sure, was they were worried that the helicarrier was going to explode and crash on Earth because they were in right. space. And now I think they traded that for there's a death spore thing. And oh, by the way, Nick had it the whole time. So two tricks. Hmm. Eh. There's a weird reference on page four. Mm-hmm. They're fighting. And with his Satan claw, Baron Strucker grabs a handle that electrifies the floor. Mm-hmm. And Nick Fury says, anyone ever tell you you'd make a wonderful stranger? Mm. And I was like, wait a second. Did Clever. Nick Fury just refer to the cosmic stranger or oh. is it something else? I think it just means he doesn't want to know him. Hmm. It's like a thing you might have said in the 60s. You'd make a great stranger. Like, I don't want, I wish you weren't in my life. <laughs> I need to use that. Right? You know what? I really wish you were a stranger right now. <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> You'd make a great stranger. That's pretty great. Yeah. Okay, did we find out that Strucker started Hydra? Has that been revealed? No, I don't think they said that here. Okay, because I was basically looking at Strucker and and his relationship to Hydra, and it gets revealed that basically Strucker in the comics Mm -hmm. has the relationship to Hydra that the Red Skull had in the movies. Which I always thought I knew until we read that What's-Her-Face's dad started Hydra. So then I was like, is there more to that story? And I think we even asked that. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, I don't I didn't look up to see what his relationship was to everything. I should have done. But Baron Strucker started Hydra sometime before 1941. Yeah. He did it as a personal paramilitary force and he kept it secret from Adolf uh-huh. Hitler for whatever reason. And that's kind of why I don't like, and they seem to do it a lot, or maybe I'm wrong about that, but they always seem to associate Red Skull with creating or just being part of Hydra in other media. And I think that's just to avoid Nazis, maybe. I don't know, mm. but... but Well, certainly the Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon did that, but I think that was being informed by the choices of the MCU. Well, I've just never liked it, because to me, like that's Strucker's job. Mm-hmm. But then the MCU did finally include Strucker in the modern era. So like at some point, he takes over, I guess. And he's going to be in the Captain America, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier Falcon series. Uh, the is, Baron Strucker Which is series. great. But... Uh, yeah, I don't need Red Skull to be the leader of Hydra. He's got Nazis. That's better for him. Mm-hmm. Works better for him. I don't even think he would like Hydra that much. Seemed like a bunch of idiots going around saying, strike us down and another arm will grow and all that. Whatever. As a means to power, I can see him using it. Yeah. Uh, using it as like a big middle finger to Adolf Hitler feels very Red Skull. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. But yeah, taking this paramilitary organization and like being their commander, I don't really feel like that's Red Skull. Like if he cre- if he created his own army of people to take over Adolf Hitler, they'd all have red skulls on their chest. That's true. Not Cause, not octopuses because he's vain. He wouldn't he come is. up with some symbol that has nothing to do with him. 
called the Skull Army or something. Anyway. Um, so this is the fall of Hydra. It's really down. Yeah, um, really? Serenko. Really? Uh, t- yeah, well, for the foreseeable future until oh. Serenko's last story for Marvel. Wow, I'm surprised by that. I thought Hydra was just a constant in this thing. He brings them back in that Captain America two or three parter he does before he leaves the company. Well, the v- reveal was super great. Loved that issue. Other than that, I feel like we're reading a lot of like Starenko struggling to figure this out stuff. But I also feel like there's a lot of promise in that, mm-hmm. and like sub and future storylines might be even better paced and more interesting. So I'm looking forward to the Starenko future. He's definitely grown as an artist. I like to think he grows as a storyteller. We'll have to see. Because mm-hmm. he's still a little messy, but that's okay. A, a bit. All right. Is that it? Should we go on to I'm Doctor good. Strange? I don't want to summarize. <laughs> it's so hard, guys. Uh, magic-y stuff happens. Magic-y, magic-y. Okay. Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, the Sands of Death. It all began with Umar. Remember that? To defeat the dread sister of Dormammu, Doctor Strange used his mystic powers to free the monstrous Zom, her eternal enemy. Yet now, even Zom has been driven from the Earth by the coming of the awesome, the unimaginable living tribunal. There, who says we don't keep notes on our own swinging story? It's actually a pretty straightforward story for Doctor Strange, but it just keeps escalating. Stan Lee prestigiously presents a Roy Thomas, Mary Severin, talismanic tour de force, inked by Herb Trump, Trimp, lettered by Artie Semek, Mystic Masters All, okay. Is that it, our first Herb Trimpy credit? I don't know. Is it? You can, I don't, rec- I don't you remember can, seeing his name before. I'm going to go look. You can sneak while I have to go through this. Okay. I can do that. I can do this literally in two sentences. I'll do it for you if you want me to. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Got your amulet strapped on, faithful one. Then let's enter the mystical beam together. So apparently, instead of. Um, Infinity Stones, the universe was made up of Sorcerer Supremes, because that's what the Living Tribunal is explaining to Doctor Strange. So, like, there's all these different realities, and every reality has a Supreme. Our reality, the one that we care about, 616, was the Supreme was Dormammu. So that's already interrupted everything. But then on top of that, he he released the top knot of, what's his face? Zom. And that somehow makes it so, like... People with no magic talent are now developing magic talent. Like it keeps, it shows a couple scenes where like guys who sort of know spells or like, or like the arcane, but could never really pull it off are now suddenly able to create fire and walk through walls and stuff. And also because Zom is evil, none of them are good. These new people that are developing powers, like magic is leaking everywhere and it's all evil black magic. And so tribunal's like i'm just gonna kill earth that's the easiest way to cauterize this wound and and dr strange tries to fight him totally does not win but puts up a better fight than the tribunal thinks he should and so dr strange is like well does that earn me anything and he's like tribunal's like i'll tell you what your cool magic cape is on fire if you can repair it i'll give you a chance so dr strange uses this incantation and he repairs his cape and he puts it back on again and looks much cooler and then the tribunal's like, okay, well, here's an hourglass that came out of nowhere. I'm going to turn it upside down, and you have this long to stave off all this evil magic. Next issue, to save a world. So, Levy Tribunal tells Doctor Strange, hey, things are really bad, 
and it's all your fault. Yes. And Doctor Strange says, yeah, but I can beat the bad. Living Tribunal says, prove it. Doctor Strange does. Yep. The end. And then he has to go beat the bad. He has to go beat the bad. Um, So this is not Herb Trimpey's first credit. It is his second. He inked the previous issue of this series. Um, And he is going to ink several more Doctor Stranges. Then he's going to go over and ink some Marie Severn issues of the Hulk. And Mm. then he's going to start drawing the Hulk in 106. And that's Herb Trimpey Hulk, y'all, which is going to go through most of the 70s. Really? Yeah, he is like the Bronze Age Hulk. I think before Sabusema. Um, Sabusema takes over. Yeah. So he goes all the way up to he goes he goes he starts on 106 and goes all the way up to 100 freaking 93. Wow. So so just we got a few inking credits first before we can get there, but we're really close to Hulk starting his own series and uh Herb Trimby takes over with 106. Volume ones are so cool. They just don't make volume ones anymore. Mm-hmm. By the way, it's going to start raining because my knee feels like it's swelling. Okay. I was just trying to sound old. Uh, <laughs> so it's strongly implied here that Dormammu was the Sorcerer Supreme of his own dimension. I thought it just straight up said that, yeah. Well, showed him in a picture. Um, no, then the others- dreaded Dormammu and the others I envisioned were all part of some infinite plan, some precarious balance. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But wasn't Dormammu in a different realm? The Dark Dimension. But that's part of our realm or our dimension. No, it's not. Mm. No. They don't talk about our dimension. So I was off about that. Maybe he wasn't 616. Maybe Dormammu's not 616. I don't know. But I do think I liked pages three through or three and six in particular. I liked, I I don't know. I was going to say this is kind of like our first cosmic issue. I was saying the same thing. They're, They're reaching for the cosmic, reaching for the stars. Except they focus mostly on magic people, so that kind of feels like it's not quite cosmic. But I feel like mm-hmm. Jim Starlin probably read this and had some ideas. Agreed. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. Um, I never knew that the three faces of the Living Tribunal had like their own names. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the main face that you normally see is Equity. Hmm. Uh, the half-veiled face is Revenge. And the fully hooded face is Necessity. Nice. So you have, I want to do it, and you have, we have to do it, and you have the guy in between balancing him out. I mean, you kind of take Tribunal for granted, because he's just like a thing that we all know. But this is actually a pretty cool design, if you're reading this for the first time. Like, this character mm-hmm. is pretty interesting. And I like all these, I mean, kudos to Marie Severin for, like, really utilizing his ability to just be whatever shape or size she wants him to be, and, like, create pictures of, like, explanations of how the universe started and how there's multiple earths and all that stuff. I like that. That was all neat. It was pretty great. I don't know if I understand exactly still what's happening. Like top knot guy is somehow leaking evil magic onto people. Cause they, why cutting knot. his hair is like the big bad and all of this is really ridiculous where this goes next issue. I don't know, but I'm very curious to see if it goes anywhere meaningful because it just seems very strange that like all of this is happening. Also, also what we have basically found out here is that the ancient one, the sorcerer Supreme for this universe uh-huh. supposedly knew all this. And gave really bad advice. Yeah, right? Yeah, because he says, take his top knot. But then he also says, watch out, the tribunal will be coming. Was, yeah. it, was he saying that so that the tribunal will defeat 
um, top knot because no one else could. And then he's hoping yeah. that that his disciple can out outwit the tribunal or at least, you know, defend himself. Yeah, I don't know, because he just says, beware the coming of. And he's like, I can't breathe. I must say the forelock dies. So he didn't actually say to sever the forelock. He just said, yo, forelock. Maybe he's going to say don't sever them. Yeah, like the forelock is really pretty. Can you just brush it? He'll be happy if you just brush it. It's like, we have Umar and we can't defeat her, so let's bring in Zom. We have Zom now, we can't defeat him, so let's bring in the Living Tribunal. <laughs> it's like, what's next? Uh, and for all intents and purposes, the Living Tribunal is basically God in the Marvel Universe. Like, yeah, right. I don't think we ever have a power higher than him I I in a scene it. with him. He always seems to be the, the highest power. Um, but I feel like this is overly complicated in a way, because it's like if what he's saying is true and there's this balance, this cosmic balance based on all these creatures, like, don't you think... Dormammu being killed by Eternity would have brought Tribunal in. Like that alone disturbs the mm-hmm. balance. Why did we have to go through Umar and Topknot in order to get to this point? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. That's overthinking it. But yeah, I don't know. I liked it. I liked all the the cool art and some of the the dabbling in the cosmic ideas of Marvel, early Marvel. It was a better chapter. I still did not really like it. But that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And now a next issue is going to be like no tribunal, and he's going to go around fighting the stupid guy in the library, which is not going to be that exciting, probably. So this is another Roy Thomas scripted issue because he just seems to do that. He'll just like fill in on Doctor Strange in between writers who give up on the book. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to do this issue and the next one before we get Raymond Murray on this book. And I don't even know who that is, but he comes and draws it or writes it. Okay. Um, but since Roy Thomas is writing it, it's no coincidence that in the same breath as Xavier getting a Sanctum Sanctorum last month in the X-Men, uh, Doctor Strange refers to his Sanctum Sanctorum in this issue for the ah. first time. Ah, So Roy Thomas used that term for both of them. But Doctor Strange was second. That's sad. That is sad. Xavier got an astral form while he's still using his ectoplasmic form. Ooh. And then we have a Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah. So he really looks up to Xavier, I guess, huh? I guess so. He really models his life after that <laughs> that weird schoolmaster up in the north. <laughs> Who keeps his stepbrother in a closet. Chained up. <laughs> okay, Tales of Suspense 91. Let's see if we can bring this puppy home. We've got Iron Man and Captain America. First is Iron Man with the uncanny challenge of the monstrous crusher. That guy right. from Spider-Man? Right. Crusher Hogan or Crusher Creel? Which Crusher is it? It'd be way better if it was Crusher Hogan. Smiling Stanley and genial Gene Colan created this neo-classic just for you, Tiger. So enjoy. Inked by Frank Chicoya, lettered by Sam Rose, and a startling new invention, a vehement new villain, a bludgeoning new battle, a sensational surprise. All this in Shellhead, too, so hang loose. We're off! All right, so Tony Stark has managed to create a fully transistorized centrifuge machine. Like the little spinny things that scientists use to separate mixtures that are made up of different densities. Um, or a salad using, spinner. Right? right? He is one of those for people. Or for mice. He or puts for- a mouse in it Aww. and spins it around. And then we change scene to um, an island out in – it's the tropical isle far south of the borders. I guess this is one of the Gulf of Mexico isles. So Hispanic land where El Presidente um, – I mm, wonder who that could be. Right. 
<sighs> Let's see. There's a scientist guy who's like, even a president is not capable of fully comprehending what this formula can accomplish. Um, wow. Why am I forgetting everything that happens in the story? The so scientist he, guy developed something and he wanted the president to take it, but the president's like, I'm not going to drink oh, this because you're trying right. to kill me. It's a green drink. It says, President, I made this for you. You drink it. President says, no, he'll try to kill me. Mm-hmm. So scientist drinks it. He's like, you know, I really wanted this for you, but since you want it for me, I'm totally drinking this for me. He drinks it and starts growing. Now, it's not like magical size change, like Giant Man, but it ends up being basically the same thing. They talk about how his muscle mass is expanding and it's all lumpy and gross looking, but he ends up growing just like Giant Man. They just pay more emphasis on his increased weight. So when he's crusher, it's because he's massive. He can crush you. Presidente tries shooting him, but his new large muscular physique is bullet immunity. <laughs> and um, Oh, no. So Iron Man hears about the strange being reported along the New Jersey coastal area heading towards New York. So it's like, okay, that sounds fun. I'm going to put on my Iron Man suit and head out there to, to stop it. So Crusher is in growing. He like lost his hair. He looks like um, a human-shaped mashed potato creature. Uh, mm. He's running. How did he get all the way from the Gulf to New York? Nobody knows. But he's the Crusher and he's crushing stuff. So Iron Man <laughs> fights him. And um, Iron Man's not going to win because uh, the Crusher is a totally immovable force. You can't budge me, so your rays are forced to feed back against you. Um, so that's a whole thing. <laughs> Iron Man gets a gun and shoots him with it to feed him centrifugal force. This gun oh my God. Yep. feeds centrifugal force to objects until eventually Crusher Hogan, Crusher Hogan, the Crusher is so full of centrifugal Cheerios that he is too heavy for the surface of the earth. He collapses into the ground. Now, earlier in the issue, Tony would be like, you know, I haven't seen Happy and Pepper for a while. Wonder how they're doing. And on the second half of the last page, Happy and Pepper run up and say, hey, Tony, guess what? We eloped. We are now Happy and Pepper Hogan. And uh Yeah. That's the end. Next issue, Iron Man of Vietnam. Well, I think it's great that Happy and Pepper have eloped. It's really weird how we've got nothing from them lately and no point of view from them. So it's like all this stuff, them falling in love just seems to be a thing that's happening while we're not looking. Mm-hmm. It seems like bummer. it has sort of staggered drunkenly in that direction. Yeah. Like they have spent a lot of time together. They have been very sweet on each other. But she's also been occasionally randomly voicing love for tony that was always that has been seeming increasingly out of place to me uh-huh and happy has still not confronted his boss about the fact that he knows he's iron man which i can't decide if that's a cool thing or not or just like why are they not using that for anything it's not quite pete ross pete ross knowing superboy's secret but because superboy never knew that he knew and tony does know that happy tony knows, does know. not, so neither one of them are confronting each other they're just letting it sit there weird <sighs> boys um, this guy is basically doing to himself voluntarily what happened to Happy Hogan by accident when he got hit by that ray. He just turns into a like staggering monster. He, he still seems out, to have his intelligence. He started out looking kind of cool, but then it just kept going. Like, yeah. At first, he just looked like a big Samson guy, but then he got uglier and uglier. Um, and he prescribes to the uh, – or subscribes to the – I always say prescribe. Is that right? Subscribes to the uh, the Erskine method of not writing anything down. 
Right. Because he's the only one who knows the formula. So it'll so die how does with he, him. How does he know what it's going to do if he's the only one who knows the formula and this is the only one he's ever made? I don't know. But basically, Wanda, basically, Iron Man just did with a gun what Wanda did to Vision in, uh, in Civil War. You know, makes him super heavy and the guy just falls into the planet's core, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's just dead then? Does he just keep falling till he? I was thinking about this too much. Like, is he so heavy that he just keeps falling and falling and falling until he burns up, or is he like down there somewhere? And Mole Man's like, "Who are you?" But he can't move anymore because he's so heavy, so he starves to death or something. Or Mole Man stabs him in the throat with a razor blade or something. I or, think what you're really asking here is, did Tony Stark totally just kill a guy? Well, that which is fine because he killed a guy in his first issue, but like, yeah. Can he just go around doing this to everybody? Just shoot people and they fall into the center of the earth? Like he could be center of the earth guy now or something? I guess. Or did, um, or did, this, up. did this gun only have the one charge and then he can't do it again? Except <laughs> unless he charges it with his salad spinner? I don't know. Okay, dude, there are other crushers. Oh, First great. of all, this guy has another appearance. Okay. And then... he. After that, he's in a third story in the flashback as there as another Crusher who takes over. Boy. But that story, that new Crusher only has that one appearance. But for whatever it's worth, multiple Crushers. So, yeah, I feel like this just like Thor was kind of like I read it and went, okay, that happened. Except mm-hmm. for the engagement seems like a big deal that they're not making a big deal. And I was really surprised by that. I did not expect that to happen. Whatever he was talking about, I haven't seen Happy and Pepper. Where are they? I was like, don't they work for you? Any modern telling of that would involve us seeing them get married. Yes. And, and, and wax worriedly about whether they should invite Tony or not, you know, right. or they should run away together. Like we had no decision. We, we saw nothing about how they came to this decision. And maybe anything. even a scene where there's like obvious romantic tension between Tony and Pepper mm-hmm. and like Tony really wants Pepper to – be unfaithful. Mm. He's not quite being overt about it, but he, mm. they're, they're, they're tense and he really wants it to happen. And she's like, I, I, I can't do this. And she walks away. And she runs to happy and says, let's just elope. Cause she wants to get it over with now. And then, yeah, happy, and then happy later finds out that that's the reason she wanted to elope and he gets butt hurt. It just goes on and, and the, on the drama. This is, this is starting to feel a lot like, um, Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, okay. she got married to get away from Lee. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well. But at least she's not a traitor. Oh, no. Okay, Captain America, Living Legends of World War II, The Last Defeat. All right. In order um, to... Oh, yeah? Wait, this is mine. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are so right. I'm sitting there all just taking it away. You can totally... To-, to make up for Doctor Strange, if you want no, the no, Captain no. America, you can have no, it. No, no, you go right ahead. In order to save the city of New York from annihilation at the merciless hands of the Red Skull, Captain America was pledged to serve the Master of Villainy for 24 hours. However, unaware of the reason for Cap's heart-rending decision, a shocked citizenry can find only one word for the tortured red, white, and blue Avenger. Traitor. 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 A praiseworthy presentation painstakingly produced by Stan the Man Lee and G- Gil Sugarlips Caden, inked by Joe Sinnott, lettered by Al Kurzrock. Mm. That's a new name. Kurzrock. Okay. All right. So, Cat's America is going to serve the Red Skull for 24 hours of traitordom. But 23 and a half have already passed. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
And he's like, okay, so now what? And Reskin's like, I've kept you in suspense long enough. <laughs> and now you're going to do what I wanted you to do for the last 23 hours. Did you read enough comics? Have you had enough, like, Spepsi? Because uh, it's, it's, it's game time now. Um, I defeated you. Everyone hates you. Uh, and you can't do anything about it because your stupid code of ethics, you have to listen to me. So, um, in a few minutes, I'll have what I want. You'll be destroyed. Tell me what the location of the XPT-1, the world's newest atomic submarine is. And Cap's like, wait a second. Wait a second. You made me declare an oath to you for 24 hours so that you could find out where the submarine is 23 and a half hours later. Rest was like, you remember your oath? You must tell me. Cap's like, yeah, I've got the oath part down. I'm just trying to figure out how... How, how dumb this is um it's in it's in the north atlantic it's it's cruising around there I, you know you that's where it is he's like i know that but i need exact coordinates and Cass like how do you think i would know that because i know that the avengers go to briefings at the pentagon every second tuesday and they get all the information about all of the american strategic mo- motions and cap's like we do <laughs> Because <laughs> I didn't know that, but sure. Um, he's like, okay, fine. It's at this latitude and this longitude. And Resco's like, aha. Okay, you go chill out in that electronic chair. And um, Cap's like, this electronic chair? And he's like, yes. And he puts a, a, a shampoo helmet down or a hairdryer helmet down on mm-hmm. Captain America. It gets all zappy and crackly. And the chair starts sliding on a track. Um Mm. Red Skull starts going after the submarine. (laughs) Yeah. Captain America falls out the back of the ship. Uh, Red Skull sends like um, hypnosis rays down to the submarine. And Captain America swims into the submarine. How do you get into the submarine? I don't know. But he, oh, it surfaces. So he gets into the top. And Captain America's like, okay, let's stop the submarine from being evil. Let's fight off all the hypnotized guys. And um, Red Skull's like, okay, y'all abandon ship. Because I want it. I'm going to make it mine. And Captain America abandons ship uh, with everyone else. And they finally realized that they were hypnotized. Oh, I know. what They, they didn't trust Captain America because they thought he was a traitor. Mm-hmm. They were hypnotized they also. Okay. It's, it's both. Broke, mm-hmm. They hate Captain America. But then they're like, oh, the Red Skull really is evil. You really are good guys. So mm-hmm. they decide to just leave the ship. The Red Skull enters the ship. But they set a bomb in the ship, and it blows up. And Captain America's like, whew, I guess he's dead. Enter Nick Fury, next issue. Well, this story is over, luckily. Yeah, this was... um Dumb. This was a weird Red Skull story. Remember how it started with him like, yeah. Bucky's alive! Yeah, or and recruiting the Swordman and, Swordman and the Power Man. Right. Where'd they go? Back to McDonald's? They're just, he like, in car, he like... Put him in the in the I don't know killed them thing room I don't know what happened to him. I don't They're think just gone. so I think Cap they disappeared from one issue to the next yeah Cap defeated him and then Red Skull revealed himself and we never see them again this is really weird they're probably still in a dungeon somewhere help help is Red Skull coming back <laughs> this is bad right um, and then the next issue he has an awesome godlike bubble power where he can put bubbles around anything bubbles and he can and he take over the city. He bubbles an entire city, Doctor Who style. Like, that alone isn't good enough. And then this issue, 
He has a hypnosis ray, and he wants a nuclear submarine because the bubble thing is apparently not that interesting to him anymore. Um, um, it's just like he's making it up as he goes along, I feel like. It's really mm-hmm. weird. It's really weird. What does he want? Um, um, and if he has the hypnosis thing, why not just hypnotize Captain America again instead of this oath thing? And Cap, are you really going to give nuclear codes to the worst terrorist of your entire life that you've ever met just so you can not lie? It does seem to speak to misplaced priorities, right? Right. Big time. Those guys could have been killed, too, by the way. And not in addition to the entire world, mind you, because Red Skull now has nuclear armament. But, like, just the guys in the submarine, their lives are worth cap lying, you know? So I did go back and look. Red's, mm-hmm. uh, Power Man and the Swordsman lured Captain America to a location. Mm-hmm. And in the fight, they got knocked out. Captain America basically won that fight. But Red Skull was there. And uh-huh. he took Captain America to a second location. Oh, so they're just at the old location. Yeah, they, they just got left there, and they probably woke up and was like, huh, mad about you, Zon. I'm going to watch TV. You want to know what Al Kerr's Rock's first credit is? What's that? This issue. It's not bad lettering. Yeah, there you go. Good job. New lettering. I mean, I've, ra- I've rarely seen bad lettering. It's I, I don't really notice lettering. And he goes until 1972, and then he has no more. And it's all Marvel. So I guess he just had a brief stint. He writes one issue of Sergeant Fury, number 90, when we get to that. Oh. That's it. One writing credit. Um, What else did I hate about this? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I'll tell you one thing I did like. It just made me laugh. I'm not saying it's good. But when Cap dresses up like a Navy guy, he keeps his mask on, which Mm -hmm. was funny. The the little Navy hat over the mask. Yeah. It's like, why did you do that? Because they know who you are if you take your mask off? What does it matter? Um, This is... Yeah. For what it's worth, this is the last Gil Kane work for Marvel uh-huh. until his Captain Marvel issues just before the end of the decade. Now you're reading, because I see on Twitter everything you're reading all the time, you're reading Silver mm-hmm. Age Green Lantern right now. Right. And that's Gil Kane, right? Mm-hmm. So how does that compare to this in terms of just art, I guess? So that's all we can compare it to. I mean, this is a bit more, this this feels like it has a bit more depth to it. I mean, mm. early 60s and late 60s are two yeah. different animals in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, early 60s feels like cells of a cartoon. Late 60s feels like comics, if yeah. that makes any sense, yeah. you know? I really like those um, Silver Age Gil King Green Lantern covers, though. I can't say I've read a lot of the insides, but those covers are always very attractive. The the covers are great. I'm reading Flash and Green Lantern because they're they're buddies. They go together and they cross over a lot. But um, sure. The Green Lantern, uh, you know, the stories are kind of hokey sometimes, but they're fun and the the art is neat. Um, he has a little bitty teeny tiny mask and it's kind of funny sometimes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would say that if you decrease like the inking and shadow work on this, uh-huh. it would it would be a little bit further developed, but still basically similar. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's doing more lines on people's faces, that sort of thing. I didn't mind the art on this storyline. It was okay. I don't, I'm not saying he's the quintessential, quintessential cap drawer, but it's not bad. I mean, it does his job. Well, like we said last time, it seems that he was doing this stint while Kirby was working on the Fantastic Four annual. Mm-hmm. And uh, Captain, uh, Kirby's going to be back next issue, and the Fantastic Four annual comes out very soon after that. Okay. The only other thing I have to say about this aside from the fact that it seems really unlikely that they would scrap a bazillion dollar submarine after its experimental use was over, Mm -hmm. which is what they 
And why is Cap warning the Red Skull to escape? That just seems a little too nice. I don't know. In the future, I don't think Cap would care that much about that. But this is the 60s, and he has to be all wholesome and whatever. But the weirdest thing is they brief all the Avengers on America's global defense every other Tuesday. And it's like that got me thinking, like, if that's true, it kind of makes sense, especially if the Avengers are the government's go-to help us team. If we have the Avengers that we saw in the Earth's Mightiest Heroes comic. Yeah, but if that is true, then the Avengers cannot in any way um, argue with the government if they want to get their paws involved in who they put on that team. Mm. Because Hawkeye should not know the America's global defense (laughs) posture. You know what I mean? Like, why does does Hawkeye need to know that? No, no. (laughs) This is not right. So... That was just kind of a random panel, by the way. But anyway, it, it, it was kind of an important part of the story. Like, like that, that has to be happening in order for this to work with the way it does. But I don't know. It's just the story's over, and I'm rather excited because I, if I recall correctly, Strange Tales and Captain America become a little interactive. Mm, for well, a it sounds while. like it since Nick Fury's next. Yeah, we'll see what happens because I did that Captain America read there back whenever. There was a possible Captain America podcast happening, but um, do you remember when the government used to come to Fantastic Four and ask them for help? Mm, yep. And now it's like I guess the Avengers is the official go-to government thing, or does the Fantastic Four get briefings on America's global defense posture every other Tuesday? They also the other that one doctor in that one corner office. What's his name? Blame Clank. Mm. I forget his name. Doctor Blake. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Well, we did it. Even though we didn't like any of these issues, we still did an hour and a half, so we know how to talk. And, you know, we don't like to not like stuff, but these are just four issues of, of just really odd choices. Well, yeah. Even Sergeant Fury, though, I did sort of like some of it, but not really. I think I, I think I enjoyed that one more than all four of these. The most yeah. of all four of these. Yeah, right. They were just, they and weren't I, bad. They were just ho-hum. So when we get to the end of the month, there better be something that pops out better than these guys, I guess. April 4th, not a good week for you, Marvel. Let's hope April 11th holds better. No kidding. Speaking of which... Next episode, we're going to cover four more comics. The X-Men 33, Tales to Astonish 93, Daredevil 29, and Fantastic Four 64, which has me very excited. Well, that's going to be our saving grace because those other three haven't been doing it for me much either. So Fantastic Four, come on, man. Pull it together this month. Hulk was great last month. Yeah, that's true. Hulk was great. I keep forgetting to like the Hulk because I forget because I'm so used to not caring about the Hulk. But yeah, he has actually been great. Hulk versus Silver Surfer. That could be pretty amazing. And where can they find us? Hey, oh, you know, before, before, before you talk about that, the other thing I should mention is if you missed it before, we are going to be covering the Avengers Battle the Earth Wrecker soon. Oh, That is yes. a as novel that we're going Mike, to be covering. As long as Mike reads it. Yes. Yeah. So you do that. And y'all read it out there if you like to read stuff. And also, we're going to be doing something on the uh, show here to help those of you who don't have a copy. More on that later. Oh, sounds hinky. Okay. But they can find us in the meantime, the regular stuff, at makearsmarvel.com. You'll find links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter. You'll find links to all the appropriate RSS feeds and apps that hopefully play our show. You'll, of course, find the shows themselves, which you can play on the website. Or you can use our form on that site to uh, write us letters that we sometimes read on air every once in a while. Promise to get around to doing that again someday. Uh but while you wait, write to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. 
You can find me on Twitter at John Reads Comics, and Mike is on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. My other show that I do, Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, is also on Twitter at TFUK Podcast. Um, and I have recently pumped life back into three old podcasts. So excited this happened. If you have heard of or really used to like um, three shows I used to do called Amazing Spider-Man Classics, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, and Golden Age Superman, those are all alive again. Uh, you can look for them on Podcatchers, on iTunes. I think they're going to be showing up there. Uh, if you can't find them, you can go to their websites, AmazingSpiderMan.Lipson.com, uh, GoldenAgeSuperman.Lipson.com, and New52Superman.Lipson.com. So check those out. And until next week, or until the Living Tribunal's got to wage a battle with a toy robot, make ours marvel. marvel.